Like Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Buckler. I'm Chris Heine. And I'm Francesca Butchko. We were just starting a conversation right before we began the podcast today, so we're just going to roll with it. I actually just came back from giving a presentation. It's funny. It's two presentations that were identical for two different groups of students at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design for the sophomore seminar class. And um, the prompt for those two things were to sort of give not really a retrospective of who I am and what I do, but more like an overview of what it's like to be a creative person and like how that happened. Right after I was done talking, after I spent like an hour and a half with each of these things, going through every everything that I do and everything I care about, the teacher said, okay, I'm going to collect your resumes. And she's kind of finishing up class. And she said, okay, everybody, next week, we're going to, we're going to do our elevator pitches. And I like, thought about it for a second because I was like oh man I just took like an hour and a half to go through every single nuance of every single thing which I think was the point of that um but we had talked about a couple things before in the past in different podcasts and I thought we'd revisit it for a second about like what actually makes your like little blip interesting but we were saying that in the past it's it's been hard to define especially maybe redefine exactly like how you want to title yourself. So on your business card, if it says illustrator, if it says designer, if it says like, you know, art director or something like that, we were just talking about how when you pick up a really good book, you go to the bookstore and you're looking for a new book to read and like something to get into. If you pick up like a big fat book, you basically have what the, the back cover to read. And you might have like the interior flaps where you can read about like the author or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when I pick up a book like that, I'll for sure read the back. And then I'll read the flaps. And if I still am interested, I'll pick a middle chunk of the book and I'll read like a little bit of it. But I always feel like it's got to be a a pretty good writer to take a really big, broad, awesome concept and narrow it down to like a small paragraph on the back. So when I was saying that to you guys, I was wondering, how often do you meet somebody else and do they give you their like elevator pitch? And how often do you follow up? Like, tell me more about these nuances of what you do. I mean, I think mm-hmm. in our job here, specifically at Light Gray, we probably go out of our way to investigate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But in general, I was just curious. Like, Francesca, you have um, another part-time job where you actually interface with different kinds of artists all the time, mm-hmm. right? Does anybody ever come in and and say, hi, I'm whoever, here's what I do, and you've seen their artwork, or you maybe you haven't seen their artwork yet? Yeah, yeah, we do get those, and we get a lot of emails, too, with artists new artists who want to be licensed and I mean they're all pretty similar I think one thing I was thinking right off the bat when you're talking about the class that you went and visited yeah and uh, this is kind of breaking from elevator pitch a little bit but as a visual artist you have the benefit of visuals yeah and I mean nowadays and I also I like to make a new business card like like I, I make them like crazy I have so many business cards it's kind of sick but Nowadays, I almost feel like just my name in a picture of what I do is enough, yeah. you know, and then there's some contact info, like brief contact info, and then there's a blank part where you can write stuff or whatever, but I feel like the best way for me to show or to, to tell someone what I do is to show what I do, um, and so when we get those emails from people, I immediately just go look at their work. You don't even read the cover letter? I barely read their cover letter, which really? is really, maybe that's telling. And I well, here's should... a question about But that. we do get people come in too. And so that's another interesting thing. And then in that case, um, I guess I'm mostly just interested in if they're a nice person, if they seem easy to work with. Yeah. Like if you ask them a question about like, like, you know, I mean, usually you ask them, well, how do you make it? And then they tell you and they seem really like 
you know but do you ever like follow up on the nuances of why they do what they do or like you know like um, some of the stuff that makes him an intriguing individual do you ever does it ever strike you to and this is funny i doubt there are people that have a really like invigorating cover letter. I mean, there was maybe one person in the universe that I would be like, "Ooh, yeah. I almost yeah." Like a, a lot of cases, of writing, the, the cover you know? letter is something that I return to because I need to get a piece of info. You're like, like what's the context for this? Because usually, I'm looking at? they'll say yeah. like, they might have, "Here's my past experience," and then that's. For some reason, that's something that I'm not as interested in until after I've seen the work, and then I'm like, "Okay, this is good." Where where did they say they're from again? Oh, I see. So you know it like I mean? informs like what you're staring right. at. Right. And yeah. I don't know. That's just, but it, this all happens like within a couple of minutes. I'm not like, you know, doing this over the course of a day or anything. So, okay. So how about this then? So what if you are in an elevator? Yeah. And well, you can't just whip out your like iPad or something and be like. Yeah. Whoop, I feel whoop. like an elevator. So I don't know what they call that elevator speech or elevator pitch or elevator introduction. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like it almost is like in the cases where you can't show them a piece of artwork, even a card or something like that. And I think, um, I think it's just really important to have descriptive language. And I can think of a lot of examples where you would change what you even introduce yourself on just by the read of the person or the locate, what type of elevator you're in, I guess. If you were in the elevator at, you know, like our old office, which is an arts building, it would probably be a different pitch than if you were in a office of the dentist, the dentist or something like that. Um, so like a generalized one versus like a nuanced one. A generalized one or just a yeah, a tailored one because if you were an arts building you could talk about specific things that artists would understand that vernacular, but if you were in a dentist you'd probably just be like I like for instance me, I'd be like, I make things that go in target because people understand that <laughs> yeah. things go in target like pe- people make artwork for things that go in target, you know, and it doesn't it's broad enough it, that you're yeah. like, oh, Target, I get what that is. Yeah, and they understand that I'm making products that go in stores, and that's what I do. And I don't make paintings to sell on a... Yeah, what are, what are those the... <laughs> places called in the Mall of America where they have like the Thomas Kincaid? That's a gallery too, but it's a different yeah. one. Yeah. But I mean, I guess gallery, that makes though? sense. It's like a frame store with artwork or something. But... No, that's, I think <laughs> it's about the, 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 it's about the, the same thing as a gallery. Yeah. No. You're buying it for the art, not for the frame that it comes in. So you're standing in an elevator, right? And you are faced with some person you've never seen, and they're headed up to the dentist, and you say nothing about the Thomas Kincaid Gallery, but you say what? <laughs> you say, I, I make things for Target. I make things that go into Target. I mean, if they asked me what I do, I'd probably say, I'm an artist. I'm a product designer, which means I make things that end up in stores like Target. You'd say that more over you than the light gray stuff? I, I think it depends to, I mean, that is, again, on who it is it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. who you think you're trying to impress because would, I definitely do that. You say. Yeah, what would you say? I, again, depending on the person and depending on the situation, I would say there's like a billion things I would say. Because really? like I've never, like this is the first year I've ever called myself officially a comic artist because I feel like I didn't deserve it before. But then after I said it, I was like, I could probably have kept calling myself that whenever I felt like it because I make comics all the time, you know, even though it's like, I don't know, I... I think um, there was a quote that I wrote down a while ago that I really liked, and it was something to the effect of, you choose the art that defines you. For instance, when I interviewed for the job that I was talking about earlier with licensing, I talked a lot about product design because that is what they'd be most interested in hearing about. It's probably most appropriate. I don't even think they know that I make comics. I don't think they know that I even like make drawings outside of work you know so it's kind of interesting that is interesting and maybe that's why i would say 
product design in an elevator at the dentist is because I would go to the one. Right. In fact, I went to the dentist. That people would understand easier than I run a collaborative gallery where we do group shows every month and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like people's idea of like a gallery is different than what what our specific, specific gallery is. So well, when I say I, that, that's not, I feel like that's not what I am. So that was what I was really interested in. I, I mean, when she was talking, um, the teacher that led the class was saying it's about a minute long and not just a phrase, right? It's not just the business card one. And I was thinking about it and I was like, that's about, that's about as much time as it would take to read through a paragraph in a cover letter or something. That's about as much time as you'd actually be in an elevator. That's as much time as I'd probably want to spend talking about myself to a random <laughs> person. Well, I think it's in a, some cases, you know, I don't know. It's also a good exercise too, in just like in general, I think, because I I know a lot of instances where something to the effect of an elevator pitch is really helpful. Like, I mean, we were talking earlier about like books, books. Any anytime you're trying to pitch a story, because that's something you have to pitch. Anytime you have to pitch anything, if you're pitching a project. You want to not bore the person. You want to get them to understand what you're doing yeah. as quickly as possible. It's really funny because I do think it's good to have like an elevator pitch in like your back pocket just in case. Mm-hmm. But also like the idea of an elevator pitch is supposed to be fast and quick and there's not supposed to be like an entire conversation based on it. I always think of it as like planting a seed or something for later, but they can go look at your work at another time. But it's like a closed, complete sentence that finishes the idea. So if you say, like, I'm a product designer that makes stuff for Target, and somebody's like, that's nice, okay. And, like, that's yeah. the end of it. And if they wanted to investigate or hire you or do a, do right. something like that, then it would, like, allow a chance for them to look into it later. But the whole concept of it is supposed to be, like, a short short second. You know? Right. The See, other th- that's interesting, but what makes it... what makes what makes you, as a person who just is like, I'm a product designer, I do things for Target, any more interesting than anybody else's Target product Well, it design? depends, again, like it depends on who you're, like at the dentist, it's funny, I actually had, I gave that exact elevator pitch this year at the dentist, because somebody <laughs> asked what I did, and I told them I made products for Target. And because I, it's funny, because that's totally what you'd, you know, like that's, I feel like the best way to define myself to that person. Yeah. You know, um, and I think to them, they're like, okay, well, and the, the funny thing is we happen to have the same dentist. So they're like, they're, they're like, like, we ah, know, we you. know Lindsay and they're Chris. like, are you the child of Lindsay and Chris? <laughs> oh, that's awkward. <laughs> um, but, but I imagine we're probably, I mean, maybe they have other patients that are product designers for Target, but I kind of feel like there's probably not a lot of them. So among that group, we are the product designers from Target. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. so depending on who you're with, I think. What I was going to say, too, is another really helpful example or helpful thing with an elevator pitch is it's it's almost more like you're considering the other person more than yourself because you're giving them a label to use. And so, for instance, when we get or, or I mean, this happens all the time with any time you're dealing with a bunch of people. Yeah. You have to like quickly recall someone and you don't remember their name, which is very often the case for me. And you're like, I'll be like the one that does the thing. Well, at least you're not thing. like the one that's got the strange hair or like the one well, that, that sometimes is happens really too. smelly, you know, like, yeah, it's usually not. Well, it, and the again, Cheeto one, depending the one on the Cheetos, depending yeah. on like the situation with art, it's like, you'd be like, oh, they have the, the one that has like the black and white ink looking thing. That would make on. sense. Yeah. That makes it really hard. If I'm going to go back to my book analogy or whatever, it makes it really hard to want to like go deeper if it's so closed, I think that those are two different things, though. So, for instance, so? 
an elevator, if you're in an elevator with a random stranger at a dentist, you do not want them to go any further. You're no. like, this is going to end in two seconds and I'm going to step off here and I don't want to have to do the awkward no. thing where we're still talking and then I'm like, well, I gotta and go. And the door's closing <laughs> and you're like, wait, wait. And then the, the buzzer like, Let me tell you back. more. Let me tell you about my game night I run every Wednesday or whatever, you know, but... Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because that's so awkward. But a book, and that's so weird. a book. I guess the book would be more like when we went to a trade show, and we're walking. You're already around in an environment where somebody's looking for. People it. are possibly looking for possible books to read. Right. And we right. are those books, and we have to walk of a up meet and meet and greet or something where you're like you're I'm already there. I think it's even different than a meet and, and greet have... though, because in, for a book, you're looking for a product. You're looking for a book to read, yeah. and so it's like a client looking. Well, I was for... thinking of like a social time where you're like. Or like speed dating or something where you're talking to a bunch of people yeah, and then all of a sudden you're like, this one, I'll continue with this one because it's the most interesting it's, mm-hmm. or something it's, like that. So is that how you go to understand. a meet and greet? You go to our artist meet and greet and you go around and be like, give me one minute, one minute, one minute, <laughs> no. one minute. And oh, then you pick and you're like, you win. You're the most interesting. I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> you get five minutes. <laughs> the whole night. Yeah. No, I think, I don't know. I was just trying to think of a so- social circumstance I guess where you're surrounded sense. by people who would be interested and what you have to say, or maybe an elevator. But I think an elevator, it's it's more of a metaphor for like a short statement than like a physical elevator, unless you work like downtown or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure is where it or came Or you're from. an elevator or, operator. I mean, I guess if you're introduced to a friend of a friend. Yeah. Those are always the weirdest. Yeah. You're like, hi, I'm this person that does right. these things. So if you were at coffee or if you were in a social setting where you could a lot more than one second to somebody, then maybe the way that you say you're phrase is more like a cover letter or more like a paper and not and not like a two sentence like really closed and descriptive thing where they're just like okay good for you like that's cool that's nice that you do your art an art director or whatever yeah um because i do think that like those types of conversations i would not want to continue a strange conversation in an elevator no. i wouldn't want to be trapped <laughs> no but I, I think i think it is like a good thing to have just in case you need it yeah. You well, know those, those, uh, I want to say they're called Miss Manners. Do you know those books, those etiquette books? Mm-hmm, you know yeah, what I'm talking about? Is yeah. that what it's called? Um, I've heard of Miss Manners, yeah. I, I don't know if she is a book person or like, there's a, Dear a couple Abby, different Dear Abby, like, like paper thing or something. They're like well known etiquette books. And one of the things, one of the like the major philosophies behind etiquette that I really like is that etiquette is, is about making the other person comfortable. And I kind of feel like that with elevator pitch where, you're trying to make it easiest on them, not only to understand who you are, but also to make them feel okay that you're talking to them. And that's okay. why you're talking about like having that really lengthy conversation. You're like, where, let me hold you captive for yeah, and they're just like, minutes. Wait, I'm not done. Wait, I'm not done. Hold on, wait one second. That's Here's a scary more details. version of an elevator pitch. But, yeah. but in the case of the class you're talking about, this is for an art school. So these are elevator pitches are probably not to make art directors feel comfortable it's probably because art directors uncomfortable well it's not to make them feel uncomfortable either but it's it's to make them memorable memorable because art directors have to talk to a million people or hear from a million people so in this case that mcad students do as like both juniors and seniors they have their junior review which they have to like describe what they do verbally and then also when they have um what is it called when all the illustration and comic students set up like a bay in the room oh they have like portfolio day yeah and, like and different uh, review days i i should know the term for it but it's like it is called portfolio day at like, mcad yeah you're talking about that or are you talking about that comic emerging well, there's showcase yeah there's like a like couple that. showcases where it is that where like there's art directors and people who are interested in hiring artists 
walking around to your booth or walking around to your installation and so yeah. you have to be ready to be like hi I'm whoever and this is what I do which you are backed up by like your physical work behind you but it's still it's that like the perfect time to use an elevator pitch because then or uh, same as a speed dating circumstance where they come up to you they're interested they like what you do and they like what you just let's said. talk about this too like in out of the out of like the classroom context, I think one of the most recent times we've had to deal with this was at Icon Eight. Jenny and I went there and had a whirlwind time of trying to to say hi to a bunch of people, um, get to know people really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you were in groups and workshops. Sometimes you were sitting next to somebody and you just said hi because you were saving somebody a seat. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. I felt like in that situation it was really nice because there were a mixture of people that were still in school, not in school anymore, been out of school for one million years like seasoned professionals and everybody sort of had a very specific and this is maybe what you were talking Chris um all of a sudden you had a really specific like way of introducing yourself that I think had the context of like the environment Mm -hmm. you also could talk about the nuances and I felt like those were some of the best introductions and so much easier to follow up on because of how like super specific it was you know so Um, I was thinking about all this stuff because like we do a lot of reaching out to artists quite frequently um, whether it is through like an interview I always think about our interviews that we do like on the blog with people Mm -hmm. or um, you know podcast interviews or things like that where you're you realize that you're going up against like when you ask a question to somebody you're going up against like everything that we just talked about like you don't want to bore somebody. You you don't want to be too specific. You don't want to go on for one million years and have a monologue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when when we're interfacing with artists and we kind of ask them to be the pitcher, you know, mm-hmm. I always find it strange and exhilarating to try and set something up that makes it easier for that. And I'm always surprised by how good of a job people do when they can actually talk about how things relate to each other. I mean, and this is a longer thing. So I'm going to move away from elevator pitch and I'm going to move into like like a synopsis of like who you are and what you do. So have you guys ever been interviewed for something? Yep. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm yes. sure you have. So spend a second really quick and if anybody wants to do this out there in the universe you probably could do this too but spend a second thinking about the last time somebody said like i i need to interview you for something and what kind of questions they asked you and whether or not it was easy to answer those questions because they were really broad or if you had to search to make something up or if the questions are really specific and it gave you a lot to talk about um i have a couple questions for jenny really Mm -hmm. quick while we're all thinking about these random interviews um, one thing that I enjoy about the process of how you've been writing interviews for Light Gray mm-hmm. is the fact that you do a lot of research about the person beforehand. And the way that you ask questions is very pointed. You say, this piece in particular feels like this to me. It looks like this is the process. Can you explain your thought process behind this thing and relate it to this, this, and this? You know, mm-hmm. like it's a very thorough question. There are also some other questions that I think um, you still do and you either pepper them in there or they used to show up a lot more in early interviews where we're like, describe your workspace, describe your favorite materials. But I think as in the last almost three years now, which is ridiculous to think that we've been doing this for like Mm -hmm. three years, um, that specificity in the questions, I think 
it seems like the artists have an easier time answering them. They and do. I was, I was yeah. wondering what, yeah, could you talk a little bit about what it's like to interview people and what kinds of sure. answers you get? Um, so when I approach the artists, I research like a couple people that I think made really awesome stuff for the show. Um, maybe they have an interesting background or something. So a lot of the time I'm looking through information that they've sent us or if I already know about their background, I and might And so how do you know about it? Can you, can you go way back and just describe sure. like... So, um, as we jury shows, like I get a chance to look through everyone's portfolio. We have worked with a lot of artists um, through multiple shows, so I've sort of seen their work over time. And um, so I have got to look at their portfolio. And then also all the artists at the beginning of the show submit, um, they do submit like an elevator pitch or a writing about themselves. Uh, usually it's sort of a formal bio. Some of them take it off their website or and write about it. And what is this? So yeah. uh, some of them are really goofy, some of them are really silly, and others are incredibly formal. A lot of them tell like their client history or the projects they're currently working on, hobbies, things like that. Um, and it gives me a really good idea of how someone writes, um, their sense of humor, and it tells me a lot about how they think of themselves. A lot of them do define themselves. They say, I am an illustrator and a printmaker, or I am a graphic designer, whatever, and right away they say that, and that's usually in the first sentence. So I do look through all of those and sort of see, like, who would be interesting for this show, um, and I usually start up a list of people that I would like to get to know also for my own personal interests. Um, I think they're a really good person to showcase, and so going through the list, I usually look through their website and contact them, and then when I finally send the list of questions to them, I also set it set it up by saying, like, you can look at past blog posts you can look at these other interviews feel free to describe things with visuals with examples with anecdotes um feel so free you to say like that yeah. yeah yeah so I can sort of set it up for them so that they understand the tone of like the blog and also so they understand um that it shouldn't be a yes or no it should be like we want to get to know you and so um I always frame it as we're showcasing their work we're showcasing what they do and want to get to know them. So usually the first um, paragraph that I do is this big introduction to set up how like professional they are and what exciting things they've been working on so people can really get into it and get to know them. So I sort of set up like a big um, elevator pitch for, for them. them yeah. yeah, and then as the interview progresses, um, I try and use images to sort of support the things that they're saying. So it is interesting to like put it in a written or formal way so I, I do like doing it and it gives artists a chance to sort of speak out about their choices creatively which is really nice one and the reason why yeah. I asked that too is we also got the we had the pleasure of sitting through Sam Alden's um artist lecture uh was that only a couple it was days yesterday. ago it was that was yesterday, yesterday. <laughs> wow I don't, I don't even know what day it is um so What's really interesting is that it follows a very similar format. I think most artist lectures kind of have an introduction by an outside person who mm -hmm. goes through their bios and says, Here, who, here's who this is, mm -hmm. here's who, why you might care. And then the person goes through in sometimes a chronological view, sometimes it's more nuanced. I always find the most interesting lectures, the ones that have a lot of visuals, like you were saying, Francesca, like some of that sometimes you can see process much more than you can see like tricks of the trade, you know, or something like that. Um, and I also think that I enjoy looking through images that have a slightly different context than the direct verbal stuff that's happening. I kind of fill in the clues of how this all goes together without mm -hmm. having to listen to every single nuanced small step. Well, 
when I was thinking about Sam stuff and we were sitting next to each other during the lecture and I even said like individually if you saw one spread of of his comics you would be like this is nice but seeing it in context and seeing how prolific he is even in just a couple years since graduating it is mind-blowing about how quickly he can like adapt to new materials and adapt to new styles and try things on the fly um you get a comprehensive yeah and so that's when you were talking about your talk earlier today at MCAD or Anytime you're sort of like looking back at all the things you've done, it makes so much more sense. And it also like gives you the frame of reference. So you're like, this one page didn't take him two years to do. It took him five minutes to do or an hour to do or however long. Um, But it gives you like an idea of where their thoughts are. And it's interesting hearing him talk about projects that everyone loves and everyone has that sort of like love hate with. A lot of the projects that you finish, you're like, oh, God, that one, that one from way back when is horrible. And now I know so much better. Um, but he did recognize, like, why each project was important in, like, the progression of pieces, you know. And I think, you know, thinking about the artist interviews and how far, just how far the format has come for mm-hmm. what the content is, I think they've become a lot more nuanced. And I And I think that's the kind of stuff, too, you see in those, like, thorough interviews mm-hmm. or like things that are really specific to whatever the questions are yeah so you guys the last time somebody interviewed you what was the context uh i think the last time we were interviewed was like last week for the npr thing tell mm-hmm. me about that is that the one you want to <laughs> yeah. talk about i mean i could talk about it's job not... interviews or other you no know. it wasn't a loaded thing i know sometimes some of us get at, like the thing i did this morning mm-hmm. was it was about my entirety of life so i had to go into the super nuances of everything and the one you're talking about was for skate or die in the mm-hmm. process of. It's a very different situation depending on what the conversation is about. For instance, skate or die. Yeah, set us up for what what uh, that was like. Okay, well, we just had a reporter come from NPR who asked us questions and sort of spent time with us um, documenting the process of of creating the skateboards and stuff like that. She also wasn't um, super familiar with our gallery, so she wanted to know about how that worked what our process was like, but also specifically about skate or die, um, what that means to us, how that happened, all that kind of stuff. Um, the questions for me that are easier to answer are always the ones that I'm obviously, I guess, in, like really familiar with. Like anecdotal or like... Not even anecdotal, but for instance, if I go into your class and I'm talking about product design yeah, and you ask me a question, it's almost not even... A thought process like a formulaic like like i just know the answers so i don't have to think really hard about why or something like that because it's it's a routine i guess so those questions are very easy to answer but when some and and so like questions about like gray art lab i can answer instantly because it's something that's been a part of my life for almost three years and i i just not something i have to think about but when she specifically asked like why skate or die or why this or that, and it's only about one specific show, especially with Skate or Die. I was involved in making the shows, but it was not my, like Dream Arcade was my baby, and Skate or Die was like your baby, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. So I think that you had a little bit more say in what went into that show. So when she asked me about it, you know, there's a certain set of connotations of what it means to me, but that's not necessarily what the show is about as a whole. So those, I was a little bit more like, hmm... Uh, whereas if she said, you know, how did like Riot Lab get started? What's the point of like Riot Lab? 
how do you guys even work together? Those questions mm-hmm. are are much easier to answer. So um, I feel like when I go into job interviews, for instance, which I don't have to do that often, <laughs> yeah. but I, I have, and I've always been really pretty comfortable. So when you go into a job interview, people um, have, you have a list of answers. Well, no, I don't have a list of answers, but normally when I, when I go into a job interview, I normally am preparing for a job that I already know how to do it. It's pretty rare to go to a job where I am like 100% new to it. So I feel like the answers come really easily because I do have experience and I don't necessarily have experience with how they specifically might do it, but I am confident enough that my answers are applicable. So it's a very easy process most of the time. You know, I got to tell you, um, when, when we were being interviewed for the radio spot, that whole like job interview, like, like I have to have an answer for every single one of these things, like kind of flares up in me and I'm like what is the most relatable rat like random anecdote that I could tell to answer this question do I have an answer for this because I have been programmed to have answers for every single thing not only in like your creative practice Mm -hmm. but also because I do most of like the sales for you know or the like the communications between clients and you know and our team for paper bicycle mm-hmm. and also plenty of stuff for like gray. It's very <laughs> weird to realize that you're like, wow, this is a long shot, but I'm going to make this make sense here. Yeah. You know, and it's not like I'm making it up because it's real stuff, but it was, it's very interesting how in those cases too. Um, one thing I thought was interesting about the interview is that I, I totally did say all that stuff for the most part, but it's probably not as, I'm not obviously not as heavy into the gore as the interview might have said, but I think it made a better story. Mm. Kind of chopping down the two days worth of stuff that. Right. Well, that's the difference between. I think that's the difference between a job interview and an interview for TV or radio. But we do have a little bit of experience with TV and radio, and it's always a little bit scary because you know they have to edit it way, 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 way down. We also did a television remodeling. Oh, reality yeah. <laughs> show, a television, a, re- a reality show reality about TV. remodeling our kitchen. Which was really funny. And it was, I don't remember how many weeks that took. Six weeks. Six weeks. And it was edited into a one, half of a one show. I think they did two people per show. Yeah. Yep. So we were 15 minutes of a half hour show. So they took six weeks of footage and turned it into 15 minutes. And I was nervous about what we would look like because I know how awful editing for media is <laughs> and how, you know, reducing people's it's like trusting someone else to make your 15 minute elevator pro- or 15 second elevator proposal, you know, for it's, you. Yeah, yeah. It's like trusting someone else to decipher all these things you're saying and turn it into that. The funniest the, part about that is they, they made us sign a waiver that said, if we make you look crazy, that's your fault, not our fault. Did you look crazy? We didn't look crazy. No, no, no. I looked like a mute because I think I said <laughs> one thing. I think they only kept one word I said. They just said, said pictures of Chris carrying stuff. Yeah, I was just I was like, like I carrying can't things. Carry and then Lindsay would talk. And then we also realized that Lindsay, I have a poor when Lindsay has to say anything positive, she just says awesome. So there must have been... They're like, how do you like it? And I was like, oh, it's awesome. And then so we made a one-second montage of me going, awesome, 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 awesome. <laughs> I think I said it 14 times in yeah. like 15 minutes. It was pretty... It was a lot. It basically prefaced every sentence she said was awesome. Oh, yeah. Got totally this in place. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. 
And I mean, I, think I realize that just I happens. That. I think that happens but when you're you don't, being yeah. recorded. And you don't also. notice over the course of six weeks that every time a project gets completed, you go, awesome, the well, project the is done. Funny and then now thing it's the is, next thing. And then, I know that's a word I say all the time. And yeah. I and my students have said it to me. They're just like, you know, you've got like three things that you say over and over. And they've and over the years, people have said it. I don't know how that is. But I also but, think that when you're being recorded, especially, you feel like you need to have a reaction right away. Yeah. That's like, probably why I wasn't in that show, because I have no reaction. So people <laughs> would be like, your kitchen's done. And I'd be like, oh, looks mm, nice. are you guys going to leave today then? But I do think that when you're being recorded, you're like, enthusiasm. I need to show a reaction. I don't know. Maybe that's just. I did think it was awesome. I mean, that's that's the other thing. Yeah, I, was like, I don't have any other kitchen, words for build that. This kitchen. I don't care. No, but you're right, though. That was a pretty big big editing situation. But that's the funny thing. They really do make you sign that paper, and they say whatever happens, if we want to spin this and make you guys look like you know crazy art people, we could do that. And they probably could have done that, you know. Um, what's funny about the whole entire thing is that that specific process was so interesting because, um, in order to get on that show, we had to do our elevator pitch. They, they brought somebody over with a handheld like recorder and they interviewed us and they said, tell us who you are. What's your background? What do you do? Like, why do you want to be on the show? What's wrong with your kitchen? You know? And of course you ham it up because you know, it's going to be on TV. Like, I was telling those guys all the things I would never, ever admit to a normal person about our, like, and here's the very short version just so you get the context. Like, we bought a fixer-upper, and it was super trashed. And so I was telling these guys, oh, yeah, we got this weird blue bucket that hangs out underneath our pipes because if you pick, using one pinky, if you pick up the sink, the whole sink comes up, (laughs) and the pipes disconnect, and the water falls out, and look at how many layers of this, and all this mold, and all this stuff. I mean, it was gross, you know? And uh, that's exactly what, that's like your, that's your interview speech. That's exactly what somebody wants. They Mm. want an interesting story. Well, they don't want want you to be like, I like my kitchen, okay. (laughs) But I wouldn't mind if it was better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, if you redid it. But it's like, yeah, I have a bad kitchen, and we're going to do something to it. Anything's better than this, you know? which made a good story. And so they paired us up with um, like a really funny guy, super eccentric designer who must have had in his mind that artists like really crazy things. Well, he likes really crazy things. He also does. So they paired us up thinking we were going to make this like massive explosion of like bright orange everything and like, you know, some crazy 70s revival. But the whole process, the point of me even going into this was that it's really interesting, like the context of where your interview will go or like if you're in control or if it's meant to be viewed as a story or if it's meant to be viewed as this like little piece, you know? So Francesca, what do you think about that? Like when you, when somebody interviews and you and they say like, or actually you've been on the other side when you've asked your students, for example, to interview artists or things like that, um, either on both both sides of that, if you have any thoughts about that. When you get questions from people, you're a pretty private person. How much do you even go into some of those nuances? Like, do you, do you stop at a certain point and just say like... I don't think I've ever been asked a question that I felt in an interview that I felt was... Too much? Too much. Really? I think... Weirdly enough, the most recent interviews I've had have been a bunch of job interviews. Yeah. And I also 
feel like kind of what you were saying, Chris, where almost every single question was super easy to answer. Because you had like facts to back it up. Right. It was just like the like, even if it wasn't a like yes or no or like a word, one word answer, it was still like, oh, yeah, I totally know what the answer for that is here. Let me let me elaborate. You know, Um, I think the hardest question that like seriously, every single job interview I've ever had has been um, why are you a good fit for here or oh, us yeah. and that is the one that like and you know what's coming because that's a pretty common interview question but it is actually very difficult and it i is. think i think the trick to that is don't apply to a place that you don't think you fit in and because, also if you haven't done your research on where you are right it's hard question well, it, to answer. i mean i don't know i i, I feel like <laughs> you're like where am i i feel like you shouldn't apply for a job if you don't know what it's about you that's know that's probably like, a good idea you yeah. know but i think it's hard to because I think, like, I remember in school when they told us that was going to be a question, I always thought, oh, shoot, that's such a hard question. How do you, how are you supposed to know the answer to that? You don't know anything about them. But I think the more you live, the more you realize uh, there is an answer, you know, because you wouldn't apply to a place that you don't think you're a good fit for. Right. You know, you could see that being a good part of your life. Even though I usually have to think for a second, I still feel like there's a good answer to that. But that that's the one that I always kind of like. Throws you off. It, it makes me think a little bit harder because I'm like, well, yeah. I know why it's good for me. Let me let me see if I can figure out why it's good for you. Oh yeah, and a yeah. lot of the, a lot of the reason I think, even though I may not say this in an interview, I think a, the good reason for any place to hire a person that's interested is they're interested. Right. You should I'll, say that. You should be like, well, duh, because I'm interested. But, well, that's, I think <laughs> that's, that's like the weird, so simple answer for that. But but like if you if somebody's really into it and they actually and of course all of their their abilities match up because you don't want to hire somebody that doesn't know what the job is right but if you have that pre-knowledge and you're actually skilled and all that kind of stuff all you need is somebody who's enthusiastic and wants to be there and then you're like well that's perfect i think that's a good point i was going to mention too like after the talk i always mention sometimes we take interns sometimes we don't one of the big things for light gray and it's the reason why we have a small team and why we are very selective about who's involved is that even as tiny as we are we have a culture that is very dedicated to being a giant team like we're like a weird amoeba that's sort of like one foot will like shoot out and try and cover something while another part of us will try and cover something else that's a very weird analogy but um and so like our interns we treat with the same respect and responsibility that any one of us would have uh so when we look for somebody we're looking for somebody really special that not only like you said francesca wants to do it and has like the interest in it but is also like a hundred percent willing to be flexible and realizing how strange it is here and how, how stuff changes. And, you know, like some days we're face first into some varnish, you know, mm-hmm. and then like other days we're trying to haul these big white tables downstairs when we are getting ready for a show. Like some is glamorous, some is super weird, <laughs> yep. you know? And so that's really funny. Cause I think you, I think every culture is totally different. Every single place, every single partnership, every, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's interesting to compare this, how this conversation has led into, like, interviews, job interviews, partnerships, like, even just regular collaborations. I was talking about that in my speech um, to these guys today in my lecture, and I was like, it's funny because I've had a chance to collaborate in the past, but only until recently have I realized how much um, me being willing to collaborate has made everything easier because I think in our in our first couple years out of school we had a um we had a another like tiny studio where 
I really wanted to make sure I knew exactly what was going on all the time. It was really hard for me to like just let things go. You know, I still have a little bit of that, which is probably good. But mm-hmm. but a lot of it I had to learn just to be like, I trust that this amoeba is going to work and we're going to figure things out and everybody has their place and everybody has their thing that they do the end, you know. But it's very interesting to hear just how much that culture matters to that. And so I think when you're thinking about your elevator speech, I don't know how anybody's ever, how you would ever know who you're talking to. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I was thinking about this and what you were saying, Chris, earlier about when you know the answers and how much easier it is. That's how I feel about light gray also. I could talk all day and tell you all the answers about anything that we're doing, but then when it comes down to, like, say, personal practice or other things, you're like, which parts of this do I include? Do I talk about, like, writing for whatever? Do I talk about organizing things or whatever random pieces we're doing? Or, like, you're sometimes, let's say, doing, like, the cover art for, like, a project that we're doing or whatever. And so it's so much stuff that, like, is, like, piled together that is super hard to define. And I have a really hard time now writing about like me as a creative who like how I'm defining myself now because it includes so many weird parts. Well, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. We've been trying to in in a sense do the same thing with grant writing. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. You're like, yeah. how will this person that might be like for example, they might be in the arts but they might be in dance or theater, how will they know what I'm talking about, especially right. in this context, when the nuances mean something specific, yes, you don't want to leave them out, but then you don't right. want to put too many in, you know? I kind of feel like, and I think I've told this story a couple times on the podcast before, but I, it always reminds me back to my portfolio day at MCAD, when one of our friends, who is now a friend, but at the time was, you know, and still is a senior designer, came and gave me my portfolio review, and he was like, I don't know, looking at your portfolio, I'm not really sure what you do. You have, like, art all over the place. And I was, like, at the time, of course, I was confused and, like, wasn't sure what to do about it. But now it makes so much sense. And I kind of feel that way about the grants when we're writing grants and stuff. I think... That's your dentist office pitch. Right. Or, or it's your... Or even... Versus your, well, like, except it's even more of illustrators pitch. You have, you have more room to be specific, and you should definitely be more specific, but you should be... You should cut off a lot. And it also actually makes me think of tutoring, too, back when... Um, back when I was working in the learning center at MCAD and we have to correct papers or help people with their thesis and stuff. Yeah. And man, and I've, I read a lot of thesis papers and they're all really long, but if it didn't make sense after the first page, then the rest of it was not going to make sense. Like they needed to, you need to be like, okay, I get what your thesis is about. Yeah. And I learned actually a lot about writing, reading those papers. And um, I remember my, um, my boss was like, for like, she was using an example and she's like, if someone comes in and their thesis is like, world war ii then you need to send it back because nobody's <laughs> thesis can be world war ii like yeah. that is too broad and i kind of think that when we're doing the grant writing too it's like we can't like encompass all of our artistic being into a single paper you kind of have to pick what yeah. you want to share and decide that i am today i'm going to be a this and this is what i'm going to be and i'll give you all the information you need to know about that particular thing but you don't really need to know on the side, I'm also doing this other thing. These See, are the 10 things. I like that you put it like that. I, I always feel like the other things sort of get the shaft where you're like, that's too bad that you don't need to hear about all this it other is stuff too bad. that informed I, it, you know? It is. Yeah. Or another example, too, is um, I, I like to write sometimes, and I yeah. used to write fiction stories more often. And my friend and I would make up these massive 
epic worlds yeah and we try to cram every single piece of information into our comics and our stories and it's not that it's funny because it's super interesting to us yeah but when you're like retelling the entire mythology of a fictional world it's not that interesting to everyone else like they just want to know what they wanted like the small little bit yeah and all that other stuff you need it but you don't need to tell anyone until they ask about it you know so you can be like okay actually i do have this it's a new well that's the same there's like a i don't know a a saying about poetry where you have to write 10 pages to get one good sentence yeah so like none of that trash matters it's just it's not trash it's not trash but yeah it just it's not the important part like you'll write for 10 pages and something will come out of it right versus like sitting down and trying to write a perfect sentence it is hard yeah and that i totally believe that i think it's really hard i think the hard thing is letting go of stuff because you're like that was a really good sentence yeah It was such a good sentence. I'm so proud of well, it. Well, the funny thing is, I feel like naturally, us as a team, and this is why I like when other people look at our ideas, like, I mean, I'll specifically talk about us four because I think I could point fingers and be like, you, 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 do this part and this part. Um, like, press releases. Jenny starts them. I'll add more to it. And then Chris and Francesca will cut everything <laughs> out of it until it turns back into something. You know, when we sit around and we do show ideas, we put everything out on the table and then we slowly decide which ones are viable, which ones are too expensive, which ones are going to be, you know, something people are interested in. We'll chop all, the, you know, put it all out there, chop it all off. Like it's a very weird thing. My dad came over the other day and sawed down three of oh, the yeah. four trees in my yard and and then trimmed my whole garden down to the ground um, and then gave all my lilac bushes like a severe haircut. And I came <laughs> home and I went, <gasps> like, all my things are gone. And he said, you know, Lindsay, you got to trim back the dead wood before you're going to get any flowers on any of this stuff. Your yeah. trees were dead. They were dead. Well, those they ones were, were dead. They were dead. Oh, those t- oh, those ones. I thought you were talking about the big one in the front that was like... The big one was a crumple that got hit by lightning. That was unfortunate. There was one that was brown. The whole tree was brown. And the other one had West Elm... West Elm... Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch Elm disease. Mm. It's, it's like just, a luxury. It's so it sprouts furniture. Yeah. But that one got chopped down because it was full of bugs. And then there's one left that... I looked at again and, and I had to call the city because that one too is full of fungus. So no trees, but he said it and he's just like, how are you ever going to get this like thing to happen if you got all this random stuff flying yeah. around? And I was like, I guess. And then I was sad for a little bit and I complained to you guys about it. And then now I look at it and I'm like, okay, well there's potential for new stuff. And right. I nice. think you'll be su- like pleasantly surprised in the spring when... I hope so. Stuff happens. Yeah. It looks a little weird because it's fall now, but I get what he's saying, and I, I get why that has to happen, and I get why our press releases have to be edited down in our show ideas and why it takes longer sometimes to explain in grants like who you are and what you do. Right. And it'd be like, welcome to my jungle. Look it is at a- all the dead trees quick. <laughs> and it like, isn't aren't easy yeah. either because you know? I think the, the trick too with anything, if any of these like grants or whatever pitches and stuff is that you want it still to be enticing enough that someone would come back. Right. But you don't want to force them. I don't want to bog somebody down with enough stuff to last them forever right the beauty of the writing is that it's enticing you know you're like oh this person is really interesting i mean a lot of times usually like if we have an interview or whatever i go and look up the artist after yeah you know and i'm like oh okay well i'm gonna find out more more. yeah because that was just enough i actually listened to a really good interview yesterday aside from the other one we went to yeah with um 
Brian Lee O'Malley, who, you know, did Scott Pilgrim. Yep. And it, um, it was mostly focusing on his new book and it was really good. And I think it was because of kind of like how you're talking about what Jenny does. The interviewer was very, um, very specific. He'd read the book and he was asking extremely specific questions. I'd read the book and I, I've actually read it like twice now and I am very interested in it. And so the, the whole experience was really fun because wasn't just the basics. Yeah. He was like like talking about the process and he's like, okay, this part in the book, when this happens, is this relating to this thing or is this personal or like, and so it's really interesting about that. And what I think I like about you bringing that up, I remember sitting in creative writing class in high school, wondering why my teacher was picking apart all of these classic books and giving meaning to the things that I was like, it's a red sweater. You know, Are you Scarlet Letter? Maybe. <laughs> and so, you know, like all of these things where you're like, why Sometimes, are we talking about this? And I also used to think that, that and I think a lot of people still have this mentality. Like, well, in high school, make things up. But it's in high not, school, that's a normal, I think that's normal to think that. That's. But at the same time, I feel like some of those informed questions, it's, I didn't read any of those books. So I am an idiot, but also, no, you know, that doesn't, but in high school, that's it makes normal. sense though, that I would be like, who cares what color this sweater is? Why is somebody putting meaning into it? You know what I mean? But now, but now you probably have a different, I have a totally different view. And that's why I think it's good that you said that the fact that somebody can read Brian Lee O'Malley's book and ask a very specific question about the meaning or the context means that they paid attention. They did, and they, they're a fan. I, th- I was thinking that too. I was like, man, if I could pick, and actually in the past I have, I don't think I did a good job. Jenny, you're actually very good at interviewing people. Oh. I I definitely spoiled an opportunity and interviewed one of my favorite artists. But now if I think I've had that opportunity again, I would rethink the questions I was asking because I know so much about this person just because I'm a huge fan, you know, and that's kind of what this interview was like, where you're like, they know about their past work. They know about the current work that they're talking about. They know about their life a little bit. So all those questions are really informed yeah so it was really good and that's why i think of course my perspective has changed because again it's like an informed person creates an an atmosphere for the rest of us to be able to participate and kind of like sort of like what we were saying before like i don't need to see his entire book Mm -hmm. if the interviewer has read it and can say here's an illustrated question Mm -hmm. it's very specific and get a very specific answer that's that's an introduction into something where i would be like wow that was a great interview this book sounds really interesting actually yeah and then you would go and you would search it out you know this was definitely i think this the other thing i think it was absent of spoilers for the most part oh that's nice i I think that's the thing well i think a good interview can be like i think maybe there's some things that are kind of like oh you're like what's that about and that's kind of a spoiler but you wouldn't know enough i think the other thing is you don't really want a summary. You want an, right. why did you make this? Right. You know, like this, tell me about the setting, you know, this is, or I think a big part of that particular book was the age of the person happens to be the same age as the, the, the Brian Lee O'Malley. And, and this person's going through something because of being that age. Yeah. And so the interviewer was like, is it, were you, are you kind of referencing your own personal life? And he's like, yeah, I kind of was. And kind of talks about that. So see, that's good. And I, I like that kind of thing a lot. I think I'm going into this idea too. And I'm glad we had this conversation because I feel like, man, if I, and I have to do it all the time. Um, every introduction, like every new time I agonize over the emails that I send to people, you know, special invitations to be in shows. Like 
I have the same anxiety that I do. I mean, it seems like it would be the opposite. Like I should be super confident when I'm saying, hey, join us for this thing. Like I have the same anxiety I would if I were having to be interviewed for a new job or something. Like it's always this this um, very carefully kind of like, you know, brain racking of like what's the most in, like important stuff that needs to be included in here. And I think um, listening to all these different ways of doing it, I mean, it's nice to have a different perspective for where you are, who you're talking to. Like I realize there's so many different ways to do like your, your pitch. Mm-hmm. Or your interview, you know, mm-hmm. what the context is. Even that weird thing that we were talking about with that um, home improvement show. It's a very specific thing that was supposed to be happening during that, you know. But I think entertainment, it, you know. Right. And that's, a, I think, a good example of, I mean, Chris was saying how you did it right because you knew that it was supposed to be entertaining. So you were entertaining, you know. Yeah, Versus or at least like, try to be. I mean, you know what I mean? It's a very interesting. I have one last story that I'll I'll tell you guys there was a friend of mine who was asked while we were in school to be on Jerry Springer. And he said, you want to be on Jerry Springer? And I said, oh my God, that's crazy. And every single person around me either was like, you should do it. Or everybody was like, no, that is like <laughs> the worst thing you could do. They're like, if you ever want to be a politician. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> But um, I remember talking with some of my teachers because I was like, who gets to be on TV? And like, they were like, what are you thinking? So eventually I was like, yeah, no, that'd be bad. And my mom was like, don't you dare. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so I didn't go and he went. And man, the context of that, like entire interview, like thinking about our whole conversation today and about like, how informed people are when they're asking you questions and what the tone of the interview is about and why you're even there. The -hmm. fact that it was Jerry Springer should have set off so many warnings for so many people because, of course, the only reason why you would ever go on that thing is because it's, like, crude entertainment and because you're going to be asked some questions that are really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I felt bad sitting there during the airing of it. He had a blast, but it was the most uncomfortable thing to watch did they do it because of like a personal thing or was he acting on there they all made it up it's made up so so someone else took Lindsay's place and they just were like made up a story and they're like this is a this weird weird love triangle yeah so so this girl pretended to be the girlfriend my friend pretended to be the boyfriend there is this extra person that was the love interest and there is a Big old fights and all that, you know, the normal stuff, right? So yeah. it is completely acting then. But they said to him, they made him sign a thing that said, you have to sign this contract that says, if you ever admit to anybody that was un- that was not real, we will sue you. I didn't sign that contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't you. I know. It wasn't Chris you. No, I know it wasn't me. I'm saying it. In the event that someone tries to sue Well, him. we just told everyone it was fake. And yeah, that's just we because know we know everyone. I know. You don't have to say it. Oh, you mean us? talking about this i think no one made us sign a contract yeah Yeah, so i can say it's like yeah it was not real totally not real (laughs) i also wonder how much of that is real people barely knew each other they every single reality tv show is spun in a different way i mean they make people look like great people and horrible people there's all weird mix but man Mm -hmm. watching that i was like wow like i think a lot of people would consider doing that because it's a novelty and um 
I just wanted to bring it up because, man, is it interesting sometimes. Like the interview process for being a candidate for mm-hmm. that was also think, very strange. I mean, I bet that, that a lot of being being famous or being well known there's like a package of that that goes with it where you are you get a piece of this you also get a piece right. of this like i mean if you're super fa- like celebrities get to deal with it every day all the yeah. time you know yeah like i mean who knows who those people are yeah actually but we get to kind of make a fake picture that we're gonna just decide you know yeah so i i thought i'd tell you guys that story because it's a very extreme version of another thing man very interesting you know, I doubt that's the first thing he says on his resume or in his elevator speech. He's like, Jerry Springer contestant or whatever, <laughs> you know, but very weird. Anyway, um, good stuff to think about. Here's all the stuff that's happening at Light Gray upcoming. Mm-hmm. I think in a week, don't we have a very spooky Two, situation? A week and a half. Yep. Yeah. We just had game night last night, two nights ago, which is a wonderful time. We even got to test out a prototype of a brand new game, mm. not yet released to public, so it's pretty exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two weeks from now, we have Fright Night, which is going to be all kind of Halloween horror-themed games. They're not really horror. They're just somehow related to monsters or zombies. I or, like that picture that you took, that I, promo image. Yep. I take all the photos for the... <laughs> for the Combining uh, two of your thing. best yeah, interests. I always take out my, it's an excuse to take out my board games and pour through the pieces and figure out what I'm going to take photos of. And this time I took photos of Plat Hat Games, Dead of Winter, all the little zombies shambling around. It was pretty good. Some good depth of field on that one, Chris. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so that's October 29th from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And we're going to be playing a bunch of games, maybe the new Dead of Winter to some social kind of... Fun time games, party games. I'm gonna, what am I? Betrayer kind of games, figuring oh. out who the who the evil one is. Mm-hmm. Those kind of games. <laughs> the mole. The mole. Oh I guess. man. So we'll be playing all sorts of spooky kind of games. And it's all surrounded, of course, by the Skater Die Show, which will be up for another couple weeks here. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, it is super fun. And so again, it's a great format. Everything is on a seven ply Canadian maple board. Um, varnished really really awesome to see them all up here it's a really cool new um, thing for us so uh, that'll be up through November 9th so again you can stop by anytime that'll be a lot of fun to see you and then um, we also by the way have just what is it a week and a half left um, to apply for our 2015 Iceland residency if you guys haven't heard about this before um, we are taking 11 creatives to the wild and exotic land um, of southern Iceland and staying in a farmhouse together where we kind of explore the landscape, uh, have discussions about creative practice, work alongside each other, and really spend a lot of time sort of sharing each other's backgrounds and practices with each other. And it's a really fun thing. We went last year um, and had a blast. If you guys want to see some pictures from what that was like or get some information, all of the information is right on the front page of the website. There's a big image. It says Iceland 2015. Just click on it and you'll see the application form and all the rest of the information. Um, If you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to send me an email. And that's at hello at lightgrayartlab.com. And any questions about that, I'd be happy to answer. So it should be a blast. So again, applications are due November 1st. 
and we will be announcing the final list of artists and residents by November 15th. So you can see everybody that's going to be involved. Um, last thing I'll say about this is that one of our big um, purposes for this, again, is to connect people across like boundaries that sometimes we aren't able to see each other this, this closely. Um, but we are trying to connect people from Europe, uh, from Canada, from the United States, um, from all other places. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. Part of the experience is really getting to know and be in the same room and have these conversations with people that, that really should be together um, beyond just the virtual zone. So uh, again, all the information's on the website and you guys can find it there. So anything else, Jenny, that we need to talk about? Nope. All right. Well, there you have it. Where can they find us, Chris? Any questions or comments can be emailed to podcast at lightgrayartlab.com. You can find us on Twitter at lightgrayartlab. You can like us on Facebook and stay up to date with all of the openings and events there. You can subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store, stream us directly on Stitcher Radio, or follow us on Tumblr at lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. Awesome. And again, um, you can still play Dream Arcade. It's up there on the front page of the website. We hope you guys get a chance to play through it. Uh, 27 awesome levels on a platformer that goes through space and time. And we'll talk with you soon. Boo, did I scare you? That creeping sense of dread means it's time for another light gray game. <laughs> you are the cheesiest person that's ever existed. It's the truth. Boo Every time bold, he writes though. like a thing, it's always like, I'm like, what is this thing that you wrote? He's like, this is good. Makes it fun. I don't know. Yeah, well, all the titles. I'll be like, dear readers, join us for another cardboard game explosion nope that's too much personality <laughs> too still. much personality that's <laughs> cardboard to what game gathering where we like, will cardboard engage game in cardboard yeah. game gathering. why is it cardboard that's too descriptive it is somebody on my facebook things wrote that they bought crispy cheetos and that was a huge mistake because you always should buy the puff ones Ew, no uh, you should always buy the crunchy yeah ones. the crunchy ones are where yeah, it's the at they're like ones. little tiny caveman clubs <laughs> i love the crunchy ones. what the poop ones are disgusting you, guys, you know how they're like thick on one end and like thin on the other yeah, yeah. i always thought they were caveman clubs and i would put them in ninja turtles hands and be That's like these extra are gross, cheesy caveman clubs I, this is why children are it, but this guy came in disease. yesterday and cheetos. cheetos were reeking through his pores <laughs>